Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 228 called Ilana Frank. This podcast is sponsored by Receptiva DX. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that has helped thousands of women who have experienced recurrent pregnancy loss or IVF failure. The test helps detect inflammatory conditions of the uterus that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. The most common underlying condition of a positive Receptiva DX test is endometriosis with or without symptoms. If you or someone you know has struggled with IVF, Receptiva DX may give you the answer and treatment protocols that you're looking for. Talk with your doctor about Receptiva DX because the journey is so worth it. Plus guys, Infertile AF listeners are getting $75 off the Receptiva DX test. So all you have to do is go to receptivadx.com or download the app Receptiva DX, use code InfertileAF23 and you'll get $75 off. Thanks Receptiva DX. And now a word from our sponsor. Attention all aspiring fertility coaches and those on their own fertility journeys. Are you ready to take charge of your dreams and create a pathway to parenthood? Introducing the Fertility Coach Academy Certification, the ultimate program designed to equip you with the skills and knowledge to become a successful fertility coach. The focus at Fertility Coach Academy is the holistic well being of individuals and couples on their fertility journeys. They address their emotional, physical, and spiritual needs through the proven creation continuum foundation approach. They also provide comprehensive business coaching, helping you build a thriving practice and make a real impact in the lives of those struggling with fertility challenges. The Academy understands the challenges of the conception journey. That's why they also offer personalized one-to-one coaching packages with internationally renowned fertility coach, Elizabeth King. Elizabeth's mind, body, and spirit approach through the creation continuum uncovers hidden blocks, empowering you to achieve your goal of parenthood. For all of you Infertile AF listeners, here's the best part. A special 25% discount on the Fertility Coach Academy certification or one-to-one fertility coaching is available to you now. Just mention the code Infertile AF when enrolling and you'll receive this exclusive offer. Ready to turn your passion for fertility into a purpose-driven career? Visit FertilityCoachAcademy.com. You'll be empowered to make a difference while embracing the mind, body, and spirit approach. Or are you seeking personalized guidance on your own journey? Visit ElizabethKing.com. Unleash your potential and unlock the doors to parenthood. Remember guys, use code InfertileAF on both of those for your special 25% discount. All right, guys. So today I am talking to Ilana Frank, who's the CEO and founder of the Jewish Fertility Foundation. And she's going to tell us all about her fertility story and having her kids and how they all got here. She's going to start with her, what she calls sex in the city background with a Jewish observant twist. She's going to talk about getting married, but not being able to get pregnant, going on Clomid, going through fertility treatments in Israel, doing IUIs, being in a kind of a basement doctor's office at one point, thinking things were weird, embryo donation, and so much more. So she's very open about her family and their stories and how her kids came here and got to be here. And she's also going to tell us why she started the Jewish Fertility Foundation and what they're doing now and how you can get involved if you want to. So without further ado, this is Ilana's Infertility Story.
Ilana. Hey, how are you? Great to meet you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm really excited to talk about your whole story as well. So let's start at the tippy top, very beginning. Did you always want to be a mom? I, I wasn't one of those people who was like, you know, playing with baby dolls, pretending to be a mom. It was just <laughs> assumed. Like, I worked really hard on the marriage part. I felt like I was in Sex in the City when I was dating. Ooh, um, I bet you like some with good a, stories. With like a kind of a Jewish observant twist. Okay. Um, so I was, you know, it took me a while to find the husband, but I just assumed that the babies would come after. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that Sex in the City life. Um, so, <laughs> Jewish, Jewish style, I guess, as you said. Um, so, what was, you know, yeah. what was going on? I became a little bit more observant um, as like in high school and in college. And so, I mean, I wasn't like uh, the Duggars, if that is a reference. Oh, my God. (laughs) But I was like observant. So I was pretty modest. I was still having fun. I was living in Manhattan. But I was sometimes wearing like long skirts and, um, you know, not being so frou-frou-y with men, but dating for marriage. And so I, in my twenties, I was living on the Upper West Side of New York, having a blast, but like, I felt at one point after six years of dating, I was like, oh my God, these guys are weird. I'm (laughs) never going to find my husband. What am I doing? And I literally overnight quit my job, quit the life that I loved in New York and was like, I'm moving back home to Atlanta because I just gave up and I met my husband right then. What were you looking for? What were like your top couple of qualities that you were looking for that you weren't? I think that I was looking for me in a man and I, a guy version of you. Yeah. But like, I really liked like tall suits, smart, like the center of a party. Like I want somebody, I wanted somebody who like, Ooh, has presence. Like I kind Mm -hmm. of like congressmen and women, well, not the women part, but congressmen, like people or like people who are working in politics Mm -hmm. into a room and the, everything was guided to them. So I would date these kind of guys, but they wouldn't um, pay attention to me. Okay. So So kind of like a Mr. Big type, right? Like a big personality, like man's the room. Okay. It wasn't really a good boyfriend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, when I finally met my husband, he we were set up. There, my a mutual friend was like, who the hell moves to Atlanta if you're somewhat observant Jewishly? And we ended up moving like we were in the same apartment complex. And so he's like, but you guys are great. Like you should meet each other. Mm-hmm. And, we, and so he like knocked on my door and he's like short. He wears flip flops all year long jeans. Uh-huh. Like just flip flops like, all year long. That's a, so specific. I love it. Gives a perfect he, visual. Yeah. And he's an introvert, like literally the opposite of everything I was dating, the opposite of me, um, except I'm also short. Mm-hmm. And somehow it just like worked. Okay. So what was it about you guys? That's a good question. It was really easy. Like all my past dating and relationships, it was just so much work and effort. And I didn't know where they stand and stood. Like, do they like me? Do they not? With him, you know, I had just moved to Atlanta. Even though I grew up here, it was still like a new city for me. Also, it was in 2009. So it was it was like the recession. So neither of us had jobs. So it was kind of like summer camp time where everything just happened very quickly. And we knew after like, so I was interested in that first, but after three weeks, like 
neither of us had jobs. We were living in the same apartment complex. He helped me put my furniture together. And I was like, oh, I don't know, like maybe this could work. And, you know, after a minute or two, some some fancy drinks, uh, we realized it could work. And after like very short amount of time, we were engaged and married. Okay. So when did family building and what you envisioned as your family come into play? So uh, he was already in his early 30s and I was in my late 20s. And as a somewhat observant Jewish couple, it it's just naturally part of the conversation. So it I don't even know if we were talking about it. At one point, we had talked about, wouldn't it be cool to adopt um, to help a family who needs our help? And that was like way before we knew anything about us. It was just assumed. We actually, right after we got married, we made Aliyah, which means that we moved to Israel. And I was never on birth control because we just assumed it would happen at some point. But I remember when we moved to Israel, it was already after a year after we had gotten married, like within that time. And I I wasn't getting pregnant, but we weren't like actively trying. We were actively having sex, but we weren't like trying to have a baby. Once we got to Israel, I was like, okay, let's try. And my personality type is you set your mind to do something and it happens. And after three months of trying, 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 it just was not happening. And that was like my first cue to like, is something, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Um, And so so we never really had the conversation. We just kind of just went into it and assumed, at least I did. And so after just three months of trying in Israel, I went to a gynecologist and I said, they don't ask you in Israel how long you've been trying. They ask you how long you've been married. So Mm. it was already over a year. And they're like, okay. And they quickly put me on Clomid. Nobody checked me. And so, okay, I was going to get pregnant. I remember I had a wedding back in New York and I didn't drink the whole wedding because I was like, I'm on Clomid. Like, I am pregnant. Like, I'm sure I'm Mm -hmm. pregnant. Mm-hmm. And that disappointment in that first month was so intense. And I was like, how am I not pregnant? Right. And then month after month after month of Clomid and not getting pregnant, I was like, oh, maybe something is wrong. And I remember going to dinner with my aunt and uncle and cousins who lived in Israel. And my aunt um, worked in the medical field. So I don't know if I mentioned something to her. She was like, people in Israel are very like direct, kind of like New York, direct. And so family building comes up naturally in conversations, especially if you're in your late 20s, early 30s, like what's going on? You've been married a while. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. I didn't even know how to talk about it. And she's like, well, do you know how to have sex? And I'm like, oh my God, do I know how to have sex? Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And then um, she's like, you know, just go on a vacation, relax, all the things people like us don't want to hear. But she gave me the name of a doctor because she's in this space. She's like, go see this doctor. He takes private patients because this is a country that has socialized medicine. So um, I was like, okay. And like we were used to, you know, writing checks for medical treatment. So it wasn't like the the socialized medicine part of free insurance coverage like was new to us. This wasn't. So we made appointments with this doctor and he was an hour away from where we lived and he accepted appointments at night 
So we would go at night, drive an hour. I remember we used to get pizza beforehand. And he started, he never checked me and he started doing IUIs on me right away. So he would literally, my husband would do his business in the bathroom. Like, and this is like in his house, um, in the basement, he had like a doctor's office and begin to do IUIs on me. Okay. He would like, look at my husband's sperm in the microscope. Like it was okay. so knowing what I know now, it was yeah. so weird. But we how did, did you feel about that? Like, were you like, what's going on? Or was it like, okay, this is what happens. This feels no. normal. You know, even back then, 13-ish years ago, like it's not like I Googled online or went on Facebook to see if this was normal or not. Mm-hmm. And we're in a new, you know, country navigating this. And I knew nobody who was going through infertility. So I wasn't asking anybody. I was like, okay, I guess this is just how you have a baby. And sure. like my husband was so focused at this point, we're already in therapy because it's challenging and hard. Yes. And he just was like, oh my God, I got to make her happy. Like she wants a baby. I, I got to make her happy. And so we weren't asking questions. We were just doing mm-hmm. and we did it. And it was, I think we thought more than anything, it was weird. Like mm-hmm. it was weird. Mm-hmm. And month after month of not getting pregnant and then like it just being harder emotionally and we're writing checks, which is weird right. in that. And we were just doing it. And mm-hmm. how many did you do? I don't even know, six or seven. I don't remember. At some point we started, you know, with injections and, you know, it's all a blur now, but we did a lot. Um, and I, my personality, when I meet a lot of people now, like, you know, so many people are researchers and want all the information and data. And before they do anything, I'm a very trusting person, trusting of people who are in the, who are educated. I care more about their education and knowing that they're coming with good credentials so that I don't have to do all the investigation. And this episode is brought to you by Vegamore. I'm always trying to do right by my body. So when it comes to my hair and scalp health, finding a product that actually works and is made with clean ingredients always seems like a trade-off. But with Vegamore, I get products that are made with clean ingredients and give me visibly healthy hair and scalp. With Vegamore, I am able to have noticeably thicker, fuller, shinier, longer hair, all without the harsh ingredients. Every cute pink bottle of Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free, and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Okay, so I got my box of Vegamore products, and I've been using them all for the past month. The shampoo, the conditioner, the grow hair serum, the hair foam, the eyelash serum, the eyebrow serum. It's been about a month, like I said, and my hair really does feel stronger and thicker. Everything looks better, and the shampoo in particular, I have to say, smells really good. The key is consistency in your routine for your most beautiful, healthy-looking hair. I use Vegamore Grow Hair Serum daily, and my hair and scalp are feeling better than ever. Here's another cool thing. Vegamore has these great value kits, like the Grow Essentials Kit, where you get to try more than one amazing product at a time at great savings. So when you sign up for a monthly subscription, you save more, and you never run low on the products that you need. And fun fact, guys, Vegamore sells one bottle of the Grow Hair Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's how good this stuff is. So here is the deal, my beautiful listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off your first order by going to vegamore.com slash infertileaf and using code infertileaf at checkout. That's V-E-G-A 
com slash InfertileAF, code InfertileAF, to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash InfertileAF, code InfertileAF. Thanks, Vegamore. And um, ultimately, after several months, we were like, this is weird. And we went to get a second opinion. And it took a few months to find a doctor. This time we are doing more research. Uh, and we found a doctor. This is like way after, you know, a year into the into the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, for the first time, somebody checked me. I can't believe they hadn't given you like a proper exam or tests or baselines or any of that stuff, right? Yep. And so they said that they were going to do an x-ray. So what's an x-ray? It was not an x-ray. At this point, like I've been through so many things. Jason, my husband, didn't come and they're doing an x-ray. I'm wearing a thong underwear. I'm going to go to work afterwards. And the x-ray was um, to check to see if my tubes were blocked. Mm-hmm. So there, and and that actually is my diagnosis. So when you have a diagnosis where your tubes are blocked, it's very, very painful. So I was like bleeding afterwards. I was holding the nurse's hand. And in Israel, they, they're they like, here's some cotton for your underwear. And I'm like bleeding and crying. And it was, oh my gosh. It was awful. But after all of that, you know, t- the doctor typed on his computer and he's like, oh, you're eligible for IVF. Let's go ahead and do it in a, in a few months. And it was free. And um, from that process, I was able to retrieve 20 plus eggs um, and we made significant amount of embryos. I don't remember exactly. At that time, it wasn't encouraged to test them. The, the, the thought process in Israel is a little bit different um, even today, but I was able to, I think that first time we put in two or three embryos that was just what you did at the time. Mm-hmm. And so what year was this? You said it was like 13 years ago or so. So now this was is it? 2011. Okay. So this was, I have no, 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an, an almost 11 year old and we put him in and it turned out to be twins. Um, we, we lost one along the way, but mm, at so that time, sorry. at that time it was like, eight weeks. You just know so much so early when you're going through the process. Truthfully, I wasn't even, I was disappointed. It wasn't a trauma. I was so excited to be pregnant with one Mm -hmm. and I have, and it worked the first time and I didn't know if I was going to be that lucky again. And I, one year later, put in two or three more, same thing happened. It was also two and, um, diminished into one and also felt very lucky and happy. And I didn't know as much as I know now to know that um, maybe I should have been more disappointed or how lucky I was that it actually worked these two times. And around this time when I, I came back to America when I had a six year, a six week old and a one year old, and I was sitting in the baby pool um, back in Atlanta and for the first time ever started talking about what I went through. And I was talking with other moms who I knew from my childhood. And we all shared the same, like, oh, it was so hard with our husbands. There was so much fighting and drama and just the ups and downs and lack of information and support. And they started talking about how expensive their babies were. 
And that's where I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea, like really, truly no idea. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when I had the idea to start the Jewish Fertility Foundation. Okay. This is eight years ago, but I was not done with my own journey. Right. So yeah, I feel like we just skipped forward. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, So like that was eight years ago. And then I knew like my husband and I always had this number four. We wanted four kids. Okay. And so like my journey wasn't over. I had these two babies. Okay, wait, can we talk about the the first one? You yeah. already talked about that transfer. Can we talk about the second one really quickly? How, yeah. Like how did that process go? Was it your next transfer? Like what happened with that? It worked the first time, like it worked. So it was my first transfer after my first child. And it okay. also took, it worked. He was did, also two. Did you do one trans, one embryo or no, more than one? They that time? Al- I always did two or three. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. It was always multiple and it took again. So it started as two. And then we always say like, you probably ate your brother because he has a birthmark on his back. They call it. We're very, I don't know if that's too. No, I say that to my daughter too, because she had a, they thought she had a vanishing twin and her name is ever. So when she was little and she was like being crabby, I'd be like, this is your evil twin. Never. So it was like Uh never and ever. So, and they said she absorbed, she might've absorbed this point. It was never like fully, fully proven, I guess. I, but. but do they, so if they have like birthmarks on their body, they That's say so that maybe it is the diminished, the diminished twin. Cool. She doesn't uh-huh. really have any huge birthmarks, but I'll have to, I'll have to double think. We that. also ask my, my second boy, um, like, are you cold? Cause he was in the freezer for a year. So we're like, are you cold? Are you cold? Oh my God. You're funny. Um, so are you chilling? <laughs> exactly. So then comes the, the much harder part of my story because I know I want more children. I have these two amazing babies and I have, I have about eight or nine embryos, extra embryos in Israel. And I'm in America. And so my husband's like, listen, I'm getting older. I don't want to be an old dad. Like you can have as many kids as you want until like we're done with all of the embryos. So I'm like, awesome. Okay. I don't need you anymore. I can leave my babies at home with you. I start going back and forth to Israel to try to use up my embryos. And I did wow. that three times. Oh my and God. How long of a flight is that from you're going from Atlanta? It's a 12 hour, like 10 to 12 hours, different directions. Gotcha. And it was so stressful. It was, and I had people judging me. You already have these kids. Like, why are you stressing out your body? My parents, my mom was like, just focus on the kids you have and you love. And why do you, it, it was, it was very hard, but my husband was still supportive at this time. Okay. Just use up the extra embryos. Um, and I did, and they were gone and nothing was working. And I think it's like a a lot of it is attributed to the stress. I don't know why it didn't work, but it was a very stressful period. So this is like over a two-year period that I was going back and forth. And I said, okay, I'm cool. Like, I don't need to be pregnant again. I don't need that desire. I just want more children. And so if you remember, we always talked about adoption. And so we're like, okay, cool. But Adoption is really expensive. And so we said, let's let's look into the foster care system. And so we were trying for, it took us about a year to get certified. I didn't want to be a foster mom. That was not 
my intention. My intention was to have a baby that um, I could mold into my own. And what I learned through this process, what we learned through this process is that my husband is really altruistic. And he was like, let's adopt a sibling unit who really needs us and we could help. And it, and I wanted to be that person so badly because that would fulfill my need or desire to have more children. But we we're also doing a great thing at the same time. And I remember at this point, like this is a few years of just trying all different things. I, I like ran into his office. He was like in a meeting and I was like, I need to talk to you crying. And I was like, I just want a baby. Like, I don't want to be this altruistic person. Like I, I want, because if you're adopting a, an older sibling unit, they're generally going to be older and they generally have special needs. And I was like, I'm not a special person. Like, I don't want to do that. That's too much for me. And he's like, fine, go find a baby. And because in, in Georgia, where we were, it was a three-month wait, uh, three-year waiting list for a, a baby. And a baby could be like under age two. And mm -hmm. I just like, that was, that's a long time to wait. Um, and I said, you know, I'm actually, I was renting space in an adoption attorney's office. So I would see pregnant women all the time. I put out our family profile to every NICU around. I was like, I can do this six months. Like I got this and I did not get it. Like we failed at this. Um, people were reaching out like, uh, pregnant women were reaching out. Birth moms were saying like, do you have horses and acreage? And were asking me all different, like, are you going to raise your child? with a religion that we are not, you know, like, just uh -huh. like, I'm like, I can't change who I am or exactly. And it just was, it was a really, really, really hard time in our marriage mm -hmm. because my husband's like, I'm done. Like, mm. let's focus on what we have. And I was just, I just was like on this mission. Yeah. And Can we talk about that a little bit more, the marriage piece of it and the relationship? And, you know, you'd mentioned therapy before what, like, what were the disconnects between you and your husband? Like what were you thinking and what was he thinking and how did you guys navigate such a hard time? So I'm just like not very flexible sometimes. And I had in my head, I want four kids. Like I just, that was my goal. I needed to check it off and I had more love to give more to offer. Let's figure out a way. I'm not the type of person to say, to give up, let's just figure out plan B, C, D, da, da, da. And he's like, it's too stressful. It's too expensive. I'm okay having two kids. And he had this thing in his head. His his father was in a, like, it was his second marriage. His dad was just like an older dad. And he's five years older than me. Um, and he just didn't want to be an old dad. Like, that was his thing. So every year he'd be like, okay, fine. You can have one more year, one more year. It was his issue. Mm -hmm. But I, um, I look back now and I was like this, like mission driven, crazy person who honestly would have done this on my own. And yeah. I, I mean, we were open, I, like we're very open together, but we don't always agree. And so we did have a therapist who, you know, would translate for us and be like, you guys are actually like on the same page. You're just going about talking about it different ways if my third kid didn't happen the way it did, I don't know where we would be, truthfully. Mm, okay. What do you mean by that? So after the failed adoptions and just it not going anywhere, um, 
somebody reached out to me and said, listen, you helped me a few years ago through Jewish Fertility Foundation. I'm a single mom by choice. I'm looking to donate my extra embryos. My family's complete. And this is something I do on the side. Like, it's a byproduct of the services that we offer people who have extra embryos. Like I'm a matchmaker. I do it. But I wasn't thinking about myself because I was trying to adopt. And then like after six months of working with this particular person, I was like, I can't find you any matches. Like you're you're asking for a lot. Like you want a relationship with this kid. You want X, Y, and Z. People are not so into that. And then one day I was just like, what about me? And she's like, and I think my husband was part of the conversation because he was like, well, how much is it going to cost? That was always his aunt. Like, how much is it going to cost? And I told him it's a lot less expensive than doing IVF from scratch, which neither of us wanted to do. He was having issues, which he doesn't love talking about, but he was having some issues now and it just wasn't right for our family. Um, and if we were going to use donor anything, like I was open to using a donor embryo. And so I reached out to our now donor and I was like, what about me? And she's like, done. And it was not done. It was not an easy process. With her, it was easy, but it took about a year to understand how we were going to ship the embryos from New Jersey to Atlanta. There's so many FDA regulations. I mean, ridiculous rules and laws. We both failed our psychological evaluations. And oh, wow. it was it was so hard. It was so hard. And I truly didn't think it was going to happen. And finally, once we did get approved, my mom, there were two of them. So there was a girl embryo and a boy embryo. And my mom and my husband sat me down and <laughs> together and they're like, listen, you're going to put both of these embryos in. And after this, we're all done. Like this is, we're done. We're telling this you, is it. you're done. So how many years had it been all in? Five. Okay. Well, five since my last child. Sure. So five years of like me being a motivated person. Motivated. Um, yes. I, I was very motivated as well. Um, If you ask my mom or my husband, crazy, but like, you know, it was really a hard time. And I said, well, are you guys okay? Are you guys like they were the ones in the relationship Are you know, what if it is twins? Are we good with that? Yeah, we were fine with that. And I'm like, but what if it doesn't work? And they're like, you have to figure that out, you know, figure it out with your therapist, figure it out how you're going to deal with that. But, but that's it. Mm -hmm. And I put them both in and one took, and I now have a four and a half year old from that process. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that process. How, how was it different from before? Like the things you had done to that point? Oh God. I mean, it was a whole different experience because there's a whole nother family involved in the process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't know this person. Jewishly, they were similar to me. And that was important for both of us mm -hmm. um, to like religious wise. Sure. Um, and that was also a little bit complicated for the psychological evaluation because we were on the same page with so many things, with termination, with which are questions that a, a psychologist might ask when you're mm -hmm. going through an evaluation process. Um, there were red flags that came up because we were so similar. You know, it's a, there's a, there are legal implications. You have to work with attorneys to figure out kind of an unknown situation because I didn't know what we were getting into. I just knew I wanted a baby, right? So mm -hmm. I 
you know, attorneys are great in this because they really help ask questions that you would never think of. Um, you know, we set up, I think in our official agreement, like let's try to get the kids together. He has full, two full biological siblings, a sister and a brother. Let's try to get them together once a year so that they don't like end up in summer camp together. And because they look alike, like fall in love and have babies. Cause that's, that's scary. Yes. Also, it's called consecuity. So you don't want somebody who is your biological relative to be your partner. Right. Oh, wow. Um, so interesting. Then, yeah. And then thinking about things like, you know, medical history also, because the donor is a single mom by choice, she chose a donor, a sperm donor. So like it was based on her preferences. I don't have a relationship with him, but, you know, we were trying to navigate what the relationship between our families would look like before we ever met each other. Mm. And that's weird. Um, and it ended up being a completely different relationship than either of us ever anticipated. Mm -hmm. um, that's so interesting. Today, I would say she's one of my closest friends. Wow. And she is family and I love her kids like my own. And we actually see each other more than once a year if we can. Mm -hmm. We go on vacations together. We stay at her house. She stays at ours. Mm -hmm. um, and we're just like family now. And right. Tell me about the, um, you know, people have talked in the past about when embryo adoption is part of the story, which I think is such a, a cool thing that exists you know, there's so many different paths now that, you know, you can build your families. Were you worried about like the bonding or any of that, like, as opposed to doing it in a different way? Yeah, of course. I mean, I didn't know what he was going to come out looking like, like, and, and I did have a hard time bonding with my second child. Uh, and he was hundred percent biologically related to me. Like it, he came out looking like my dad now. Mm. And I, and I was just like, I don't, there were a lot of things we were moving internationally. I has, I had a C-section, which I was frustrated about. And it took me a few months longer to like really connect, which I know is normal, but really, really connect. Mm -hmm. um, and it was different than my first child who I just like instantly had a bond with. Mm -hmm. um, I love him a lot. I love them all right now. So I can, and I'm open about this with my kids, but it, it took longer. And so I was super nervous and afraid. Like, what if I didn't recognize his smell or the way his feet looked or, and I did not experience that um, at all. Mm -hmm. But yes, those nerves were absolutely there. So when did you start talking to the kids about, you know, where they came from and how it all went down? So my oldest at like three years old wrote me a Mother's Day note talking about how he's so glad he was my, the embryo and like was put, we're very, very open in our family about their stories. Uh -huh. that, that wasn't something that shifted when we brought our um, embryo donation child into our lives. So my big kids knew about the process from the start and from birth, my, my third son knows how he was created and, you know, is also very close with the donor as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is there any more to the family building story or when did you guys realize that your family was complete? That's always hard, I think, for people yeah. who suffer from infertility. Like I said, like I always envisioned having four kids. 
I'm 44 and my husband's almost 50. Mm-hmm. Like we're done. We're done by default. Like if I want to keep my husband as my husband, like I cannot even go there. Um, I mean, we always say like, if there was a baby that was dropped off on our doorstep, like, of course we have room in our heart and our home for that. Right. But we can't, for our marriage to survive, like we can't talk about it anymore. And like, I think I'm at the point of accepting it. Like I knew it was done for me. So that is my acceptance of being done. So tell me when you started your foundation and and shifted, you know, kind of made your, yeah. turned your story into your, your passion work-wise. So we are now in our eighth year and we started as a community-based organization in Atlanta. And now we're in seven locations nationally and scaling. Okay. So we offer financial assistance um, to people who are going through infertility. We offer emotional support and educational training. So mm-hmm. we've taken those three prongs and opened up branches throughout the U.S. Uh-huh. Um, we are the Jewish Fertility Foundation, but we're open to anybody regardless of religious background. Um, oh. Our emotional support and our education is is free of charge and open to anybody. Uh, the grants are specific for the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. And um, we're really excited. We just opened up our services to the LGBTQ community. That's great. Um, we've given out $1.5 million in grants, loans, and discounts. We have mm-hmm. like 124 babies, 54 babies on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just and it's still fun. Are you still in Atlanta? I live in Atlanta, yeah. So, okay, tell me why you felt it was so important to start it. You know, what was missing that you were able to fill that hole? Um, as you might know, uh, infertility is really lonely. It's it's isolating and it's expensive. And there was nothing in my Jewish community that was happening at the time to support me. I didn't even know where to turn. And I, I didn't, I, I felt like it was my responsibility as somebody who works in the nonprofit space, who fundraises for nonprofits. It, it was my honor and it was my responsibility to be able to start something like this. What are some things specifically like in the Jewish community that you guys are focused on that maybe um, a non-Jewish, you know, similar kind of place isn't necessarily focused on? Like, what are you offering that that other people aren't? I mean, I think, you know, especially in the more observant communities, family building is so crucial to our everyday Jewish engagement, going to synagogue. I mean, on Passover, we tell our children the story of Exodus um, or how we left Egypt. I mean, everything is so catered and centered around children. So when you don't have these kids, like where is your place in the Jewish community? Mm. And so part of it is just breaking down the stigma by talking about it. Uh, Part of it is, you know, educating people within the Jewish community, like where is your place Uh, How can you grow your family? What are some perhaps out-of-the-box suggestions like embryo donation um, when the typical or traditional fertility roots aren't working? Mm -hmm. Um, And then like the support and mental health components. So we'll Mm – we have something called the Fertility Buddies Program. So we'll match you up based on not only your diagnosis and your geographic location, but also your religious denomination – in Judaism, there are many different um, levels, perhaps, of Judaism. And sometimes people who are in the more observant community 
don't want to be with somebody who is observant because it's so shameful and stigmatized in private that they prefer to be with somebody who they might not connect with. And then in the same regard, sometimes people really want to be with somebody who's religiously like them so they don't have to explain so much about what is going on and some of the rituals that are associated with um, who they are. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's very and also, cool. Also statistically within the Jewish community, we know our statistics are a little bit higher. So uh, it used to be one in eight. Now it's one in six nationally, but we always would say it's one in six within the Jewish community because of genetic reasons. Um, we have so many genetic issues because we're a smaller population and mm -hmm. getting married perhaps to one another. And then also people within the Jewish community tend to get married later. Um, it's an age issue as well. Is there room, do you think, in the Jewish community for people who go through infertility, but, you know, pivot and are then childless, you know, not by choice or, you know, childless after infertility? Like, how does that take, take a role? So, yes. And we have to do a better job of educating the religious leaders on how to include childless families um, mm -hmm. in that space. Mm -hmm. I know that we've just started, I don't even know if it's a support group or like a peer-to-peer -peer meetup of people who are just toward the end of their journey. So it's hard. And I think education and just acknowledgement of that is, you know, the first, the first step, especially with our Jewish communal leaders. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that. That's an important thing to you. Cause I think that's really important to that community. You know, people always are trying to figure out where do I fit in? You know, like if I had to pivot, I never say give up or quit. Yeah, Cause I yeah. feel like I don't like that terminology, but if they had to pivot and their family ended up looking different than they originally intended, you know, where do they fit in? So, but also it's the same, the same is true in our community. If you don't get married, if you don't find mm -hmm. your partner. Mm -hmm. So like, where is your place? If you're a 45 year old single woman, mm -hmm. like really? And I think mm -hmm. that that, that has come further quicker than a, a, a family without children. guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Ilana for sharing her story. Definitely check out the Jewish Fertility Foundation. And also if you're looking for a safe space to land, check out Fertility Rally. We're on Instagram at Fertility Rally. Our website is fertilityrally.com. We are the place I wish I had when I was going through all the bullshit and all the heartache and all the depression and all the relationship issues and all the just terrible things that we all go through. It's so hard, you guys, but you're not alone. So check us out at Fertility Rally. I'm here, happy to answer any questions. We're open now. So go check us out. No matter what you're going through, you will connect with somebody, I promise, multitudes of people actually who are going through it as well. So check us out. And also if you have two seconds to rate and review this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Talk to you next time.